off to our scripture today, which comes to us from the gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. And for a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, although I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, that because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. Frederick Buechner, one of the great Christian writers of the 20th century, delivered a series of lectures on the topic of preaching up at Yale University. And as a part of his lectures, he painted with words the scene of what takes place when the preacher approaches the pulpit to preach. Buechner described it this way. So the sermon hymn comes to a close with a somewhat unsteady amen. And the organist gestures the choir to sit down. Fresh from breakfast and a quick run through of the Sunday papers, the preacher climbs the steps to the pulpit with his sermon in his hand. He hikes his black robe up at the knee so he will not trip over it on the way up. His mouth is a little dry. He has cut himself shaving. He feels as if he has swallowed an anchor. And if it weren't for the honor of the thing, he would just as soon be somewhere else. In the front pews, the ladies turn up their hearing aids. And a young lady slips her six-year-old a lifesaver and a magic marker. A college sophomore home for vacation who was there because he was dragged there slumps forward with his chin in his hand. The vice president of a bank who twice that week has seriously contemplated suicide places his hymnal in the rack. A pregnant girl feels the stir of life inside her. A high school math teacher who for 20 years has managed to keep his sexuality a secret for the most part even from himself, creases his order of service down the center with his thumbnail and tucks it under his knee. The preacher pulls the little cord that turns on the lectern light and deals out his note cards like a riverboat gambler. The stakes have never been higher. Two minutes from now, he may have lost his listeners completely to their own thoughts, but at this minute, he has them in the palm of his hand. The silence in the shabby church is deafening because everybody is listening to it. Everybody is listening, including even himself. Everybody knows the kind of things he's told them before and not told them, but who knows what this time out of the silence 
he will tell them. And then Beekner adds, let him tell them the truth. Let him tell them the truth. It can most certainly be said that one of the reasons why you and I show up on a Sunday morning or any other time during the week if we're participating digitally is that to one degree or another, we are all in pursuit of the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to know what makes the world go round. We want to know what is right and what is wrong. We want to know what is the will and purpose of God. We want to know why certain things happen. We want to know why hurricanes take certain paths. We want to know the meaning and purpose of our lives. We all bring, I suspect, these kinds of questions on a Sunday morning. We want to know the truth. Let the preacher tell the truth. Yet any preacher worth his or her salt would tell you that he or she is bringing those very same questions, questions about the truth on Sunday morning. The preacher wants to know the truth, just like the rest of us want to know the truth, so that we can share and live the truth together. The preacher doesn't just magically possess the truth and in turn then dispense it on Sunday morning. The preacher is on the search team like the rest of us, the search team for the truth. So we have our Bibles, thank God, to dive into, to understand what God is trying to say to us concerning the truth, this collection of ancient texts bound together that preachers go to seminary to study and then spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out. The Bible is the guidebook for the search team searching for the truth. And then we also have Jesus, whom the Bible points to as the word, the logos, the son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, the tour guide, as it were, as we spend a lifetime trying to grasp the truth of Jesus. We want to know the truth of Jesus because Jesus tells us that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And who doesn't want to be set free? But let me underline something I just said. We spend a lifetime. We spend a lifetime seeking the truth. Truth doesn't come in a moment. Truth comes over a lifetime, a lifetime of questions, a lifetime of study, a lifetime where we ask the Bible and we ask Jesus, what is the truth? And so, for example, when we consider our theme for this year, which comes from the sixth chapter of Micah, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God at one level, while the truth seems to be pretty clear? The Lord requires three things for us to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. But then come the lifetime follow-up questions. What does that mean? What does it mean to do justice? What does it mean to love kindness? What does it mean to walk humbly with God? A lifetime of questions. Which leads, I suppose, to this parable of Jesus that we just read in Luke's Gospel. It's a parable only found in Luke's Gospel, and it's a parable that, tells, that Jesus tells about prayer 
a parable specifically about our need to pray always and to not lose heart. To pray always and to not lose heart. And it's this parable about a widow looking for justice. She's been wrong. The system has worked against her. She wants justice. And she keeps appearing before this judge demanding justice. But this judge isn't such a good judge. He doesn't appear to care about justice, God, or anybody else's. So he keeps putting her off. But she persists. She begs. She demands a fair fair hearing. And finally, this indifferent judge, worn down by this woman's badgering and persistence, gives her her due justice. And then Jesus says, if a corrupt and indifferent judge will finally give in to this woman's persistent pleas, imagine what your heavenly father, imagine what God will do when you and I set ourselves to praying without ceasing to the never-ending pursuit of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. Now, it's important to understand that last piece of Jesus' teaching. If a corrupt and indifferent judge will give in to the incessant and persistent pleas of a poor widow, imagine what more... God will do, imagine what more the Heavenly Father will do, because the assumption is God, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, wants more than anyone what is best for all. So our prayers, our persistent prayers, come about from an undying hope that God wants the very best for us, and not just us, but God wants the very best for all. Not just me but all our persistent prayers, our continued petitions originate in this unflinching hope that God wants the very best for everybody. That God requires us to do justice, requires us to love kindness because this is the very thing God is trying to enact in the world. God may not very much care whether we have a flat screen TV or a sunny day for our picnic, or a victory for our team. Penn State fans understand this to be sure. (laughs) But God very much cares whether everyone gets what is right. This may be one of those little pieces of the truth for us to spend a lifetime praying about, a lifetime trying to understand. We're tempted to pray about our own little worlds, but the one to whom we're praying holds the whole world in his hand. Makes me think of the East German church, St. Nicholas Church in Leipzig, that sometime after the Berlin Wall was erected by the communists, a wall that prevented East Germans to freedom, to escape to freedom to West Germany. It was the the good people of St. Nicholas Church that agreed that every Monday, every Monday they would pray for peace. That's it. Pray for peace. God wants peace, and God wants us to pray for peace. And so that's what they did. Every Monday they gathered and they prayed for peace, and they invited the community to come and pray with them for peace. Every Monday, pray for peace. At first it was just a little small group, but then it got a little bigger and then a little bigger and a little bigger yearning for freedom and justice, the people prayed persistently 
And then the praying turned into demonstrating. And then the demonstrating turned into protesting, and the protesting became a movement. And the movement insisted that that wall come down. And sure enough, after years and years and years of praying, the wall came down. Jesus said we ought always to pray and not lose heart because we hope in a God who wants the very best for all. I love the story that Bishop Desmond Tutu, the great South African bishop and leader in the anti-apartheid movement, told when he was receiving an honorary doctorate up in Quebec after the fall of the South African apartheid regime. He said that at one point during those long discouraging days, he got a letter from a nun on the other side of the world in California who told him that at two o'clock every morning she woke up and she went down to the convent chapel and she prayed for that bishop and for the anti-apartheid movement. Tudu went on to say, so here I am, being prayed for at two o'clock every morning by a nun in California. What chance does apartheid have against that? Our persistent prayers, our continued petitions originate in an unflinching hope that God wants the very best for all. The great preacher Fred Craddock tells of going to a pastor's conference and the discussion turned to prayer. And at one point, an elderly black pastor stood up and said, until you have stood knocking at a locked door, your knuckles bleeding, you do not know really what prayer is. Makes me think of that fool's errand that God sent Moses on from that burning bush. And God says to Moses, travel back to Egypt and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, not going to work. And God says, just do it. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs him out of the palace. And Moses goes back to God and says, told you it wouldn't work. And God says, go again. So Moses goes again, no luck, again, no luck, again, no luck, again, no luck. No, 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 until Pharaoh says yes. And the people flee and cross through the Red Sea and make their way to the promised land. But you have to keep asking. You have to keep asking you have to keep praying and you have to keep hoping that God wants the best for all that this is at least a part of the truth Rebecca Solnit uh, tells the story about a woman who participated for years with a group of mothers seeking to bring an end to the nuclear arms race small goal they call themselves women strike for peace WSP and they set themselves for years quietly and not so quietly protesting that at the very least the U.S. would bring an end to above ground testing of nuclear weapons because more and more it was discovered that the radioactive fallout was showing up in mother's milk and baby's teeth. And their efforts after years and years resulted in Congress approving the limited test ban treaty. But along the way, there were great moments of discouragement and resignation 
And this one woman recalled one of those days where they were gathering with a group of other women in front of the White House to protest. And it was cold and it was rainy and people were driving by not paying any attention at all. And God knows that the president wasn't paying any attention at all. Years later, she attended a conference at which Dr. Benjamin Spock became the famed pediatrician was speaking who had become a fierce advocate for the anti-nuclear movement. Someone asked him what led him to become such a strong voice in the movement. He said, you know, it happened on a cold and rainy day as he was driving past the White House and saw a small group of women protesting. And he said, if they could be so passionate that he needed to be as passionate as well. All life is interrelated, said Martin Luther King. Somehow we're caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. We feel this, don't we? We feel this. We feel this when we wonder about our friends to the south who by nature's cruel fate have had their lives turned upside down. We feel this when we hand out bags of groceries or tutor children or visit the sick or listen to a care receiver or send in an offering or attend a funeral or send a note or weep at the death of a child we don't even know. We are tied in a single garment of destiny, an inescapable network of mutuality. And so we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Pray to know the truth. Pray to live the truth. Pray to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. We pray and we pray and we pray to the God who wants the very best for all. 